You know, managing a team of 10 or more persons, it's a talent. You're really a a juggler. You're someone who can manage a lot and and you want to keep your team efficient and productive. And that's why ClickUp can help you. It's the one app to replace them all. It's a collaborative work hub that brings together everything organizations, managers, and teams need to do to work better, faster, all in one place. Help your team of 10 plus be more efficient and productive with ClickUp. Use code Theo to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use code Theo. Take your productivity to the next level with ClickUp today. We got new merch, some new colorways uh, in the Be Good to Yourself collection. We've got hoodies in plum and moss. We've also got t-shirts in lilac, moss, and blue mist. I hope you enjoy those. Those are good colors. Get that hitter and more at TheoVonStore.com. Today's guest has been a figure in most of our lives. Um, He hosted a show called Dirty Jobs, where he just got involved in it all, man. He's not afraid to to go to the beach and sit in the quicksand, you know. Um, He has been a narrator. Uh, You've heard his voice on shows like Deadliest Catch and Shark Week. Uh, He's an activist for the trades and for regular working people. Uh, I'm grateful to have him here today, Mr. Mike Rowe. story of my life man has it been yeah and uh, and no did it's, you do chores growing up did you have any chores i had uh, all the like the classic chores right we had um we had some land that really wasn't ours but we had access to and my mother was crazy for horses so we built a barn and we had three or four or five horses at any given time that we boarded and the average horse will crap eight times a day oh wow so if you have five horses each one crapping eight times a day. That's basically 40 loads, right? So mm. I'd come home from school. The first job was to uh, to pick up the horse shit. Yeah. Right? Put in the compost pile. And then split wood. We had a – our house was heated mostly with a wood stove. Mm-hmm. So my main chores from, I guess, 13 to <laughs> 18 were picking up horse crap and splitting wood. Did you get to see them do the craps, or you just they was already done when you got there? I played a game called bonus points, right? So I mean, normally when you come home, the field's just full of little loads of turds, and you scoop them up with your wheelbarrow. But if you catch one in the midst, and if you can get over and get the shovel yeah. under its ass, the sound that the turd makes when it lands on the shovel, yeah. it's weirdly satisfying, yeah. you know, and you start. You're looking over your shoulder when you're out there waiting for the next one. And really, it's strange, you know. I'm older now than I've ever been, but I do the same thing with my dog. When I'm walking the dog and I see him spin, Uh 
This is ridiculous. You're like a grown man with a plastic bag in his hand, but there I am holding it under its ass, Getting there. catching it in midair. Like Kirby Puckett or whatever. <laughs> Just, But no, I could see that there's some, for me, I could totally see that there would be value if I could like, in my head, it's like, oh, if I can get a little more efficient here and cut off the time between. Isn't it crazy the games we play and the little things we do, at least I do, over, oh, the, yeah. over the course of a day, right? It could be making the light at the intersection. Uh, it could be, you know, the perfect text, the right tweet, the, whatever you assign value to. But yeah, it's funny. I hadn't thought about it that way. But at that point in my life, one of the most satisfying things to do was to catch a turd in midair. Yeah. God. Simple things. Oh, I think in some countries, it's still probably, it's a damn, <laughs> it's probably a dang Olympic sport. I think it if, ought to be. If you get out there into some places, you, you know. Oh, oh yeah. I think it, I mean, who knows where things will go. I think that it, entertainment's getting pretty out there. You, you think? Know. I mean, geez, you, you know what I did the other night, man? I'm flicking around, mm -hmm. not knowing what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I stumble across the National Cornhole Championship. Yeah. Grown men. Them bag boys, yeah. I mean, I like seven or eight straight in the hole. No sliding, no nothing. Just nailed it. We. I feel like when I watch that, I can feel their wives in the distance <laughs> being like, get a king job Right now, Darren. So proud of you, Darren. So proud of you with your little bean bag yeah. and your little hole. We're proud of you, but Tiffany needs her daddy at home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You could because you know I don't think the money's there yet. We're like, but it's this. It's the same. It's like as a kid, I remember flicking around and watching bowling. Yeah, like Earl Anthony Jr. bowling. And it was the most, I mean, the intensity and the focus. Yeah. And it wasn't a big crowd, but it was an engaged crowd. And, you know, and the way the announcer would step in there and, oh, my God, the pressure is high. And here he is and the focus and the concentration. It's the same thing with darts. Yeah, darts. I yeah. love darts. And it's like, so there are so many of these little hobby type things get treated like it's the decathlon. Yeah. And if you're just a guy flicking around in the middle of the night and you stumble across, there he is, man. Bushes tossing the look at that right in there, like it had eyes. Bushes Amazing. Yes, that bean baby right there. Yeah. And uh, what kind of beans are in the bag? I wonder maybe that's how Bush does it. You know what? That would be amazing. Somebody should open up a bag and see if bush beans are in there. I cut open a golf ball once mm -hmm. when I was a kid, went in my grandfather's shop mm -hmm. and put a golf ball in a vice and I took a hacksaw. And I opened it up, and it was like Newton. I, <laughs> I'd really. It didn't occur to me that at the time I was just like Isaac Newton. But you're right. There I was looking inside of a golf ball like it was some microcosm of the uh, of the solar system, and yeah. peeling these rubber bands away. And you know, oh, there's rubber bands in there. Oh well, there's something rubber. They look like rubber bands, but they're really dense and they're really thin, mm. and they're wrapped really, really tight around this this nucleus. In the center of it, some marble type little thing. Huh. But you know, some guy is at home trying to find a better way to make a better golf yeah. ball, yeah, knowing full well that some knucklehead who's been amusing himself by catching shit in midair yeah. is going to take one, <laughs> yeah. put it in a vice, and cut it open yeah. to see what makes the world work. <laughs> what uh, what's keeping you busy these days? Sitting here with Mike Rowe. Thanks so much for coming in, man. Sure. No. Um, and congratulations for uh, for being in Nashville. And for carving out a carving out a piece of something real. I mean, this is so, you know, I do a podcast too. Mm -hmm. Keeps me pretty busy. But 
I'm on the road all the time, so I'm doing it on like Riverside or Zoom or, you know, and it's not the same as, you know, sitting in an upholstered chair with the guy in his house with the, you know, it's it's like cable access meets yeah. you know, real. T- I mean, honestly, <laughs> like we're this far from Wayne's world. Yeah, yeah we are. <laughs> and, and people are watching, like lots of people are watching. So congrats on that. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, I think we've been looking for different studios recently, but there's a level of not i don't want to there's a level of rogueness mm-hmm. that has to accompany a podcast space yeah it's like in la because we have a studio in la and we've been looking there and it's like man this is a there's a chase bank in the lobby that's not it, that ain't it. we need like a missing person poster <laughs> within 60 feet it doesn't need to be on the building but you know what i'm saying there yeah. needs to because there's a level still of grunge to it you right, know right 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 um that i think always needs to be there if i walk into a corporate place i in my head feel more corporate and so it puts me in a different headspace um so i'd imagine it does that for other folks but you can't fake it right i mean if you're going to be in a corporate space there's a way to behave that's consistent with your surroundings and when people look at that they might not like it but they're not going to judge you for being a sellout or a fake or a poser. Like, like well, you don't you, think so, huh? They well, might not. I, I mean, mean, I'm not. Acu- I'm not saying that, that came off a little. Uh, well, they might. Yeah. Oh, you don't think so, huh? <laughs> uh, came off a little bit outsiders. Well, I mean, it's like if when I see somebody uh, working hard to be grungy, I don't see it as much different than somebody who's working hard to be corporate. If you're working hard to create an appearance, then you become part of the production. And if you're part of the production, then you're part of the enemy to authenticity. Mm. And I and what I take from what you're saying is that the thing that's for sale in the podcast space, that is also for sale, you know, in any good comedian's act, uh, in any TV show that feels real, and any song that feels real, is authenticity. Yeah. Right. And so there's this weird trap. If you if you work really hard to create it, well, then you're manufacturing it Ah. and that makes you fake. But if somehow or another you can function in your space, Mm -hmm. ask the questions you want to ask, give the answers you want to give in a time frame that you want to create, you know, then then I think people will at least give you a listen. Right. That's a good point. So maybe I'm over. Maybe I'm giving that too much credit, maybe, you know. Maybe. Like, I know on Dirty Jobs that, I I mean, I think the reason the show lasted as long as it lasted was because we never did a second take. It was, I just said, look, if I'm going to do a reality show, this is back before reality meant something unreal. Yeah, that's how it's gotten. Like, if we're we're literally, I mean, you you came up in that world too. Yeah. I'm like, look, we're not going to do any pre-production. We're not going to do any writing. We're not going to do any real casting. All we're going to do is follow a guy around doing his job, and I'm going to have a normal crew, and they're going to shoot the show, and they're going to cut the show, you know, however we agree to do it, but I'm also going to have a camera that never stops rolling, Mm. and I called it the truth cam, and, um, you know, like right now, when I'm looking at this, that's camera A shooting me, Mm -hmm. walking and talking in this uh, dump, actually, down in... uh, down in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But over my left shoulder, 
there's another camera that's rolling. So if that camera there suddenly craps the bed, or if I have an audio problem, or a plane flies over, or I screw up my line or something. Or dog attack. Anything happens, I can turn to the truth cam, and I can tell you, I can tell the viewer, here's what's happening right now. Oh, I love that. Right? Here's what's happening right now, and it, and it, and it wasn't planned, and I, I just want you to feel like you're there with me. Mm-hmm. So that's... That's, That's the reality. Thing. Yes. If and 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 you don't need to do it like every second. You just right. have to remind the viewer from time to like that. There I am smear that's actual shit I'm smearing on the lens of the camera. Oh wow. Now that's Japanese as, as heck, you know. Japanese and German. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> Dirty Jobs was always one click away from a German porno. Yeah. Right? And and, um, and I mean look at me, that's me twenty years ago. Wow. Right, that crazy show is still in there. There again, you see it. That that's you know that's actual mud exploding from an oil well onto the lens of the camera. That that's chicken shit mm-hmm. squirted onto the lens of the camera. Like oh, yeah, when you put stuff like that into the viewer's face, and there's the truth cam. Oh yeah, that's me showing you what I'm seeing as it's happening. So that's all just a long way of saying that you're you're doing a version of that with this podcast, you know, you're right. We want to keep it as authentic as possible. Yes. Cause it really is what the truth is. I think so. Yeah. You know, I think and it, it, it has changed over the years. A lot of the shows now are so different. It's so, it's just all so manufactured yeah. and the algorithm has gotten so strong of as to like what the, uh, what people want, what do they need? It's like, it, there's all these testing points and stuff. It just, the reality has gone out of a lot of stuff. And it's been replaced by feedback. Like mm. everybody, it's normal to want to know how you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, back when I used to do that show, you know, there I am with my arm literally past my elbow inside a cow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it oh, didn't. deep, huh? It didn't occur and to what me. what are you trying to, what is this? Part of, uh, is this, um, this isn't <laughs> one of those like, uh, it's not like a crystal ball thing, is it? <laughs> I don't think so, man. I think that that episode we were uh, we were showing the realities of artificial insemination. Oh yeah. And I was trying to make the point that you know there there is no McDonald's, there is no Carl's Jr. There there are no millions and millions of hamburgers served every day without people coaxing the sperm out of uh, a bull and and getting it into a cow yeah i mean it it's it's so prevalent and so common um in the places where it happens but but so mysterious to most people how you get the sperm from one or the other yeah yeah get it getting the you know i mean you're talking about artificial vaginas you're talking about uh, styrofoam cups you're talking about you know guiding the penis of a bull called Hunsucker Commando uh, mm. into the right spot. As How big is it? Can you put it around like a, could you get one hand all the way around it or not? Yeah, the bulls are interesting. It's like a carrot. And that's my garage door we just heard. Just in case you you guys heard that, that's authenticity. Keeping it real. Yeah. You know what? I did a I did a podcast a couple of months ago and the title of it was The Leaf Blower Stays In <laughs> because there was a goddamn leaf blower <laughs> outside my window. <laughs> And I really, I really thought about. It. I take a golf club and I could go out and I just kill the guy yeah. and I like, solve the problem because he's not going to go away, yeah. right? And uh, and eventually we just made him a part of the show. 
So, um, yeah, whether it's a leaf blower or the penis on a bull, you know, some sometimes you yeah. just got to play the cards you get. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I'd rather play the leaf blower, I think. <laughs> the leaf blower stays in. No, the... Uh, How big is... Yeah, could you get your hand all the way around that wiener or That's not? a good one right there. Bovine oh, wow. reproduction. So it's like that. It's not a, it's not a big, thick, vascular... Which one? That, uh, that looks like a dang um, uh, snowman nose, huh? <laughs> Well, the weather outside is frightful. It's getting frightful now, dude. <laughs> know, I'll tell Jesus you that. Christ, dude. If that thing got loose in a schoolyard, my <laughs> God. See, that's the kind of stuff we got to stop, man. All right, so here's here's what you're not seeing. And, wow. and, and here's what we showed you on, I guess it was season three. Mm -hmm. I don't remember which one, but we, um, you know, before you grab the penis like that mm -hmm. and and direct it into a repository you take a uh <laughs> you take a probe mm -hmm. right it's about two feet long looks like a shotgun mic okay right and um and on the back of the probe is a battery um about the size of a deck of cards and hanging from the battery are these wires right okay and the wires go into this tackle box i called it the tackle box from amsterdam okay. because it was full of lube and it was just full of dials and buttons it was a real curiosity you know this farmer opens up the tackle box and you look inside and you take out the probe and you slather it up with lube Ooh. and then you walk to the the rear of the of the animal the male and you insert the probe into its uh, rectum all the way up to the the battery at the end. Wow. And so you get it in there about a foot and a half. Free coffee, huh? <laughs> There's nothing free, brother, in this <laughs> oh, life. Damn, that is uh... so you get So you get it all the way in there, and then you go back to the tackle box from Amsterdam, and you turn on the current. No. Oh, my God, bro. I didn't see that coming. There it is right there, the ultrasound scanner with toe probes for rectal probe for veterinary animal. So- is this the, part of Saw? Isn't this Saw season two? I feel like <laughs> this is heavy, bro. So I didn't know you, you guys were doing all this. So you run a, a, a light amount of current uh -huh. through the leads into the probe, and it stimulates the prostate of the animal. <sighs> yeah. Now, when this happens, all right, so the cowboy is turning the knob. I have taken a position underneath Hunsucker Commando, right? Wow. And he hands me this, um, this uh, styrofoam cup. He basically says, you want to be on the knob or you want to hold the cup? And I'm thinking, well, it's TV. It's going to be more exciting if I hold the cup. Yeah, you got to be right there. You got to be that light. Yeah. So, so the first the first knob sends the first blast of current into the prostate. And the bull, whose name incredibly was Hunsucker Commando, uh, immediately presents mm -hmm. himself. So that, that, that carrot-shaped thing becomes uh, turgid. Really? Rigid, right? And then uh, you grab it and you point it toward toward the cup, and then he turns the second knob. No, and the current really flows oh in there. God, and this thing explodes. And is it with AAA? Who is this guy again? <laughs> Duracell. No, it's um, I don't know. I mean, at that point, you're not asking a lot of questions, right? You're wow. you're squatting underneath an enormous bull. Mm -hmm. You're holding its carrot shaped penis, yeah, and you've got a styrofoam cup toward the tip. And the guy turns the second knob, and that current hits the prostate. And then he starts yelling at me. Uh, what do you say? Don't, don't spill a drop, Mike. That's white gold. <laughs> Every drop is precious. 
So you fill up the styrofoam cup. Wow. With- and do they put it on a scale after? Is it like... <laughs> See, you turned it into an Olympic event again. <laughs> it's like look, fro- look at the like size like, of that load. I'd put sprinkles on mine. I think this is unbelievable. <laughs> I bedazzle mine. <laughs> I want it to really pop in the afternoon sun. <laughs> so now you take the sperm from the cup and you put it in this device. And then you take these things that are like pipettes. It looks like a stir that you get for your coffee at Starbucks, right? Yeah. And the sperm goes into these pipettes. And then you bring in the girls, or actually you go to them. There'll be maybe 30 cows, you know, all facing north, and you're behind them. Wow. And you take this injector, and you put the pipette in there, and you reach all the way in, right, past the vulva, past the vagina, past the cervix, till you get to the horns of the uterus. The horns of the uterus, Mac! We're there! And you find that, and you, and you, and you situate the pipette, and then you pull the trigger. And then you have artificially inseminated a cow. And does she smile or anything? Is there any... Well, what I like to do, I, I, I'd light a candle first, a little aromatherapy. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, a, a tasteful floral bouquet, something to set the mood. <laughs> UFC 281 is live. It's live from New York this Saturday. Get closer to the Octagon with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on UFC 281 and get $200 in free bets. That's a lot if your fighter wins. That's it. And check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up parlays. Assuming you do not have a gambling problem, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code T-H-E-O, throw down $5 on UFC 281, and get $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code Theo this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So the other day I realized um, I have a lot of subscriptions going on that I haven't even canceled yet or that have been running in the background. I got in a damn haircut club or something somebody put me into, and I don't even know where it's located, and I'm paying $9 a month for uh, trims. But it's not just me. 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about or can't get out of. That's why I love using Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app that shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. That's right. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. Rocket Money handles that. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel. And Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money will do it. That's why I love using them. They're formerly known as Truebill. Yep, and right now, you can get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money. Go to rocketmoney.com slash T-H-E-O. Seriously, it could save you hundreds of dollars per year. That's rocket, R-O-C-K-E-T, money.com slash T-H-E-O. Now, look, man, it's it, it's different everywhere. I was a place called Babcock Ranch in Texas where we did the same thing with uh, quarter horses and thoroughbreds. And what's that, ponies? 
Now, quarter horse is a is a big animal that runs the quarter mile, okay. as opposed to a thoroughbred who would run, you know, Belmont Stakes, Preakness, things. Yeah, like I was just that. at Neyland. Keeneland. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They keep changing the name of it, but I was there. Fast horses, man. Fast horses. Well, they but they, so the quarter horses are bigger. No, they're about the same size. Okay, they're just um, they're. Their cardiovascular systems are a little different. Their musculature is a little different. They're just bred to run faster for shorter periods. Yeah, a little urban. But they brought in this horse called Paid by Chick. I still don't know why they called it that. But this was season one of Dirty Jobs. You can find this too. I'm wearing a yellow bicycle helmet because Mm -hmm. the day before, a groom got kicked unconscious. Oh, why? Because he got underneath the horse the wrong way. It, it, oh. it, look, it gets violent. So the the horse is let in, and then it it jumps on something called a pommel horse. Like mm. that's literally where they. Get. Oh yeah, I've seen those things in the Olympics. So the front legs get on top of this thing. Now, meanwhile, they bring in a mare in heat. So it's like, you know, and a handsome animal. So like. It's like porn. It's like Black Beauty is let in. She's in heat. You bring in the stallion. Oh, yeah. He jumps up on the quarter horse, and he just starts thrusting in midair. I mean, he's fully ready to go. Yeah. And that's when you step in, you meaning me, with a yellow bicycle helmet holding uh, an artificial vagina. Oh, like some kind of damn spunk minion. It (laughs) looks... All right, somebody make a note. Spunk Minion. If that doesn't wind up on a hat, if you're not selling Spunk Minion hats by this time next month, I got to talk to your ad guys because you've missed a real opportunity next on Spunk Minions. And so so you're hunched under this animal, and 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 this is not like a bull's little carrot penis. This is a full-on God. baby's arm holding an apple. You have to rest on your shoulder or anything? Like, how heavy is it? Yeah, well, you get your shoulder underneath the animal, oh. then you grab the penis, God and damn. you slip it into the artificial vagina, which looks like a hot water bottle. Oh, yeah. And now here's the craziest part about it, man. On the other side of the artificial vagina, you've got a baby bottle, like a formula baby bottle that mm-hmm. screws in. And inside that baby's bottle is a um, a plastic bag. So all the sperm from the artificial vagina drains into the baby bottle and into the bag Aww. inside. It's <laughs> like $35,000 worth of spugilotti, right? Yeah. Like in your hand, yeah. like stat. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, the strangest thing, the – and my favorite artifact from Dirty Jobs that I actually auctioned off a few years ago from my foundation was that baby bottle, 14 years old, filled with the sperm from this horse called Paid by Chick. And I, and I used to keep it <laughs> – I used to keep it on my mantle Oh yeah, in, in San Francisco where I lived in my apartment. In the afternoon sun, Theo, it would come through the window and it would pick up that crystallized semen mm-hmm. in that baby bottle – and throw the most beautiful little rainbows across the living room. Unreal. Little sperm prisms. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> amazing. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't know how we got on this, but oh, yeah, that's man. it. Yeah. There are lots of penises out there attached to all creatures, great and small. And on dirty jobs, we violated pretty much every barnyard animal. You checked them all out. Was there a oh. wiener you didn't get to see? Was there one of God? Was there something off a of Noah's Ark you didn't get to see that hammer? Uh, I'll tell you what I saw that haunted my dreams for a while was the joint on an ostrich. 
looked like a loaf of bread. Really? Yeah. No real tip to it. Just a blunt instrument, mm. uh, which to me explained why, you know, they all walk so funny. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was just brutal. <laughs> Maybe they stick their head in the sand out of embarrassment. They're like, oh, God. Dude, Wait till they see what my penis looks like. There, <laughs> yeah. there are so many things about an ostrich. We could talk for hours about the ostrich, but I saw an ostrich charge an F-150 the guy had left the the door open mm -hmm. and tore the door off the hinge, just ripped it off. These things can go from zero to 40 miles an hour in about four steps. Yeah, Their breast plate is about two inches thick. You can shoot it with a 38 caliber, uh -huh. six feet away, slug will bounce off. Oh, my God. They're cassowaries, right? So they've got their 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 claws... Uh, they've got three claws. I saw, the guy I worked with had a, one of those big cowboy belt buckles uh -huh. that had been cleaved in half right down the middle by an ostrich. Wow. Had that belt buckle not been there, the thing would have killed him. They're dinosaurs, right? And uh, putting the socks over their heads and leading them off to slaughter was one of the more exciting things uh, oh. we ever did. That reminds me of a time I actually went to Guantanamo Bay, actually. Why? To do stand-up comedy. Holy crap, tell me about that, dude. So that kind of blew my mind. Some guy hit me up, this guy I know is blind. He's not blind, but he's like, um, actually, he is blind. <laughs> and he hit me up, and he's like, hey, do you want to go do stand-up comedy? He did some military tours, and he's like, yeah. we should go. I have the opportunity to go down to uh, Guantanamo Bay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, jeepers, man, I have to go do this. Mm -hmm. So one night, we all get in a, we get into Florida, in Fort Lauderdale. We all get on a little Cessna plane. And it was like military pilots or whatever. And then they fly in at this crazy pattern where it's like, because they can't, like, they just, it's just the history of how they fly. So they, it's less likely to get shot down or whatever. Yeah. And we're just flying at this crazy pattern. And, um, and at first you, you don't even see the base. And then it's like the brightest, it's like a diamond in the middle of nowhere. It's like the brightest lights outline it. Yeah. It looked like a huge constellation, but on the ground kind of. And so almost beautiful from a distance. Oh well, yeah, unbelievable! It looked like a damn wedding ring or something. Yeah. It looked like the Earth had a wedding ring on. Huh. And so we start to land in there, and then next thing you know, we're on this base, and there's golf courses there. There's a couple thousand troops there. They have all these like unique. Bring up the Guantanamo Bay um, vehicles, like unique vehicle, Guantanamo Gitmo unique vehicle. You're going to have to get out of the uh, German porno category there. And yeah, we're deep in here. <laughs> I mean, we're getting ads popping up. I mean, we just got a new Kanye West ad pop up. So Not Adidas. We're <laughs> yeah, it wasn't for Adidas, dude. <laughs> um, but they have a lot of people. Oh, they get hit that green one right there, that van. Yeah, there's like a Scooby-Doo van. There's a lot of unique vehicles down there. It's like one of the weird things people do on the island is build these crazy vehicles and drive them around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we stayed there and did shows for three nights. And who, who, what, Were you by yourself? No, there was three other comedians. This one Yiddish dude who was a wrestler, Mike Burton. Mm -hmm. And there was um, the blind guy and um, somebody else too, I think. How was it received? Were they appreciative? Oh, yeah. Were they they, they were excited, been, man. man. And the crazy thing was, they said the first day we got there, they said, uh, yeah, I'll take that. Thanks very much. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. The first day we got there, they said, um, 
oh, there's something called Gitmo Pretty, where the ladies at first, you're going to be like, oh, these ladies aren't cute, right? But by the third day, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, that lady is a damn, she's damn Betsy Ross, dude. I'll let her knit my wiener to, you know, into a damn stack, you know? Um, Anyway, so that was it. That was really my. But we had a great time, and we did the shows there, and people really enjoyed it. And we got to go. They have, like, beautiful beaches on the – like, I didn't realize yeah. that. We went to this place, I think, called Shell Beach where we swam, and it was really cool, man. So was that maybe the the most exotic, strangest place you ever did your your act, your thing? That might be, man. Some of those military bases. We did, like, the Azores one time, which is mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. We did – I did sp- – Spain, we did China, but that's one of the that's probably one of the most unique places I've ever done it. I was thinking the other day too. Somebody asked me, you know, where where on dirty jobs or really anywhere for that matter, you know, what's what's the place that that sticks with you? And mm-hmm. for me, it was um, a place called Cooper Pedy in the Australian outback, Ooh. where they uh, they mine for opals. And opals? What is it? So opal is a it's a gemstone. It's a, oh, it's a rock. Yeah, it's a it. It's basically a gemstone for, um, or the birthstone for October, I think. But it's they're very valuable, and mm. most of the opals in the world come from Australia, and most of the Australian opals come from this little town called Cooper Pedy. Uh, it was 122 degrees the day we were there. Uh, the city, or the, it's not a city, but the town is underground. People live underground. Because it's so hot? It's just so hot. And the flies, man. The flies. They're, they call them uh, stickies because mm. they'll get on your face and they and they just don't fly off. They just crawl really quick all over you. So you have to wear these, uh, these masks. Anyway, mining for opals is, it, they call it prospect mining. So you dig a hole with something called a, a Caldwell bit, which is about the circumference of a manhole cover okay and they run a shaft about 60 70 feet deep and then they set up a a a pulley and hook up a bosun seat to it It was just a two by four and okay and you sit on it and then they there you go that's that's the road to cooper pd right there the most dangerous road with the most exotic roadkill in the world oh yeah dude it is bananas everywhere you go. You'll find a new dead thing by the side of the road. There's yeah. a kangaroo. They're everywhere. It's like the Austra- it's like it's almost like an Australian. It's like, hey, if you're gonna die, at least die out by the road so people see you. <laughs> there's so there there's so many dead animals and the billboards that they show you to beg you to slow down. Oh. Right? They're like shots of guys, their faces. Uh, like their mouths open, they're screaming, and they're literal toothpicks holding their eyes open. Because the people who fall asleep on the road to Cooper Pedy, and and the trucks, like we've seen it, eight, you know, you see eighteen wheelers here all the time. Yeah. They they have these things called truck trains. Mm-hmm. So it's like five eighteen wheelers oh. attached to each other, yeah. and they'll go eighty miles an hour down this why road. Why do they do? Who? Is, why is there that guy who's like, man, I'm a. I, I, was, I met a driver one time. He's like, man, I can drive for 40 straight hours. I'm like, but we don't want you to do it. <laughs> just just because you can do a thing, brother, yeah. doesn't mean you should. Drive for but six hours. Take a break. Yeah, we'll make you Rest a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, get you a, a, a day's Have a cup of coffee. In. Live yeah. a little. 
But he was like, God, dude, I'll drive for 200 hours, dude. My dad died out here. And I'm like, well, you're going to die out here. We're all going to die, man. Yeah, but man, your dad don't want you driving for 200 hours. So People love to drive long. There's something about that. I can drive forever. What is it? I don't know. It's what? like some, like one guy came to me one night. He came to the comedy show. He's like, man, we drove 24 hours to get here. And I was thinking about where he, he couldn't have come from anywhere. I'm like, then you got lost. <laughs> Like, wait a minute, would you drive a tractor, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a rickshaw? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you in a vehicle with a combustion engine? Because I'm not sure I understand why it took you 24 hours. Yeah. Were y'all running on briquettes, bro? Look, What's I, going on here? I, I, I think I can explain it. I can bring it back to where we started. Yeah, go on. Cornhole, uh-huh. darts, catching crap in midair with a shovel. Yeah. You know, if you're not, if you're not engaged in some great purpose, mm. if you don't have some some sort of overarching mission in your life, then you're going to find meaning where where you can find it. Yeah. And if the only place you can find it is, I drove 24 hours straight yeah. to see you. God damn, damn it. It's like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from that dude. That's, true. that's, that's what he's got. That's what he's selling. So, hey man, thank you. But then he gets there and he has to sleep for two days. Then he has to leave. He never even got to spend any time. But that's part of the story, too. Yeah. I got there. I was so tired. I never I never heard a single joke Theo told me. But I drove 24 hours for that thing I can't remember. My God. We My loved him. My God. Um, so what is a, what's one of the purposes? I know you talked earlier about I, I want to I get into like um, just some of the stuff that you're doing. We don't have to get into it. What were we talking about, Mike? You mean before we actually started rolling? Well, we're talking about you have a whiskey. Yeah, doing a whiskey now called Noble, K-N-O-B-E-L. That was based on your grandfather. I thought that was interesting. So Dirty Jobs was a tribute to a guy named Carl Noble. Carl Noble was my neighbor and my grandfather. Um, Both of those things. Both of those things. And he was a magician. Um, A real magician? No. As good as they can be? No, the kind of magician who, you know, the guy woke up clean every day and came home dirty every night. And somehow, during the course of the day, something magical happened. Something was fixed. Something was repaired. Something was built. The guy could build a house without a blueprint. Mm-hmm. Take your watch apart. Put it back together blindfolded. A combustion engine, a, a plumbing line, whatever it is, right? He was, was drug-free. He was drug-free? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I, I I never saw him drink to tell you the truth. Wow! But he um he only went to the seventh grade. But yeah. by the time he was thirty, he was the uh, chief electrical inspector for the state of Maryland, he, licensed electrician, plumber, steam fitter, pipe fitter, mm-hmm. welder, architect. He 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 could do all that stuff, right? So I thought I'd follow in his footsteps. I worked as his apprentice for a couple summers. The handy gene is uh, recessive, right? So all the stuff he could do, all the stuff he could do naturally, it, it, it didn't come easily to me, right? I, I, one day I was working with him on a, on a concrete pour on some construction site, and I, um, I just bitched up the mix, completely ruined it, you know? And uh, I was probably 16 at the time, and he said, Mike, you know, just because you uh, – you can be a tradesman, right? Just get a different toolbox. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that that advice 
changed my life. And anyhow, long story short, I, I got in the entertainment business. I, I, I started pursuing things that I, I didn't I, I, I didn't know I would like mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know I cared about, like singing and acting and writing and hosting and, and narrating. You know, I, I got into all of this uh, at a community college as I tried to put a different toolbox together. And, um, you know, way leads on the way. And I, I freelanced for 20-some for years in, in the TV business, had a lot of jobs. And then uh, my mother called. I was working for CBS in San Francisco on a show called Evening Magazine, terrible little show. Mm-hmm. One of those half-hour things that comes on after the news, right? Yeah, sounds bad. It's awful. Um, but I was good at it. You know, I was a, I was good at creating the illusion of um, of competence in in short bursts. Oh yeah, like Russell Wilson. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> sure. You said it, not me. Um, and so I'm I'm sitting in my cubicle one day, uh, preparing for the show that night, and my mom calls me and she says, "Michael, you know your um your grandfather turned ninety today, and he's not going to be around forever." Mm. And I was thinking, would it be great? If uh, before he died, he could turn on the TV and see you doing something that looked like work. <laughs> <laughs> my mother. Now, now my, my, my mother hits me with this, right? So I take, a, uh, I take one of my cameramen. Uh, actually, I, I go to the boss and I say, hey, well, why does Evening Magazine always have to be hosted from like a winery or a – or an art museum. You know, why can't it be hosted from a, a factory floor or a construction site or a sewer? Yeah. And he's like, you want to host evening from a sewer? And I said, why not? He goes, Mike, I don't give a shit. No, no one's watching the show. Do whatever you want. <laughs> so I, I took my cameraman into the sewers of San Francisco. And what happened down there um, is actually a, a book I wrote a couple years ago. It, was a, it changed my life. The, um, the whole experience in the sewer the rats, the roaches, the the just the endless chocolate tide that washed over us yeah. and, and, and kept me from doing the job I was trying to do. All of that forced me to do the only thing I could do, which was work with the sewer inspector who was down there replacing these rotten bricks. You know, mm-hmm. that was his job. I was just there to to shoot raps to host the thing. Anyhow, that footage uh, wound up on the air. Um, and it turned into dirty jobs. It crushed. And so my granddad saw the first episode, died. Oh, killed and, him, uh, huh? Killed him. Killed my own pop. <laughs> no, he had, he had an amazing life, and he, he, he lived long enough to see me doing something oh, that, cool. as my mother said, looked like work, right? And so, uh, and then dirty jobs blew up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this, <clears throat> this is, you know, I'm, I, I know you've seen this kind of thing in show business. I hadn't at that point. I'd had a lot of jobs, but I'd, I had never gotten mail from people saying, you think that's dirty? You should see what my father does. Mm. My brother, my cousin, my uncle, my sister, wait till you see this. And that's when I was like, oh, oh, this is not a show. This is something else. This is... Um, I, a love letter to work. It's a romp. It's, I mean, a truly unscripted. Back before reality was reality, it was like 
it was a very unusual thing for Discovery to put on the air. Oh yeah, when you're in an animal's when you're in an, in an animal's butt, you just no one had ever seen it. And, and I mean, it, few had, and they weren't <laughs> supported by by the you know by society. Hey man, that that cow still calls me. You know? <laughs> Look, I'll say it is what it is. Hey, Mister Fancy Man with yeah. the opposable <laughs> thumb, when are you coming back to town? Yeah, that thing's a wiener mitten. That's a wiener mitten. So for. So for 20 years, man, I mean, the show is still in production. I'm still shooting Dirty Jobs right now. Wow. And um, my granddad is long gone, but I wanted to, you know, he he had girls. So when he died, his very strange last name. Yeah, female offspring, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my mom and, and her sister. And I don't know of any other nobles, K-N-O-B-E-L. So this year with Dirty Jobs coming back, I thought, you know, let's – Let's do something to get his name out there. And so uh, I've got this whiskey, and, and we, we raise money for the foundation that was also uh, in his honor. Mm-hmm. I do this thing called MicroWorks, and, and we award um, uh, work ethic scholarships to people who don't want to go for a four-year degree right? but want to weld or be plumbers or steam fitters or pipe fitters or mechanics or electricians or all the jobs my dad, my, my granddad had. Yeah, my guy cousin Ricky is a welder. Dude, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who didn't know what they wanted to do but got a welding certificate, went to work, and who are now just crushing it. Yeah. 150 grand a year. Many of them, you know, have picked up their plumbing certification as well. Those Some of them are like jockeys. Tell me, those dudes are out there. They're killing it. Yeah, I know an underwater welder, three hundred and fifty grand last year. Wow. Now he's underwater yeah. and he's welding. He earns every penny, man. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. if, if you've I ever. I mean, seen, he has oysters for lunch. But I, it I is mean, what it is. if you've seen it, it, Google underwater welder and look at what comes up, these guys have big, big, big stones and. Yeah. And there's some and of them right there, dude. Now those the, 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 those are the opals. That's opals, huh? <laughs> those are opals. Yeah, wow. those things are worth a fortune. God, I but, want some of that. Mm. That looks nice. Underwater welding. That's gangster. And being from Louisiana, you hear about that all the time. Sure. Offshore rigging, welding, people leaving their families. You hear all of it. Yeah, Louisiana was uh, very good to dirty jobs over the years. You know, before we go there, I want to I want to know a little bit more about that the uh, the the grants you guys give just sure just so just so our audience can hear about it. Well, yeah, you thanks. Told, you told me that story about the about the. Uh, I just think it's a neat story. All right, so it, here's what happened in 2008. Dirty Jobs was the number one show on cable. Yeah, it, it was all over the world, and I was working my ass off, living in Motel 6s and Super oh. 8s. You know, the, I mean, on the road, full yeah. time. They're good, but they're bad. Dude, they're so, look, anytime you see a hotel with a number in its name, yeah, right? I mean, an actual, like, the number 6 or the number 8, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's no good. Now, <laughs> now, if, like, Four Seasons is different, right. but they spell it out, right? F-O-U-R. Yeah. But if it's just the number 4, yeah. don't go in there. Yeah. Right, right? <laughs> so I'm... <laughs> I'm living with hotels with numbers in their names. It's 2008. The show's killing it. But the country is starting to slide into a uh, a recession. And every morning I wake up and I walk out of my Motel 6 and I look, you know, there's a USA Today, new headline, right? Uh, 6.5% unemployment, 7, 7 7.5, 8, 8.5, 9. I mean, for weeks it goes on and all anybody is talking about are the millions of people who can't find work. 
And the crazy thing is on dirty jobs, back then anyway, everywhere I went, I saw help wanted signs. Mm. So something weird was happening in the country. On the one hand, nobody could find a job. And on the other hand, everywhere I went, uh, no one could hire, right? They couldn't find people with the skills that were necessary. The welders, the plumbers, these, these, these shortages were real. So I thought maybe I could use the Dirty Jobs platform to make a more persuasive case for a lot of these jobs that were out there that nobody, nobody really cared about. Mm -hmm. And so MicroWorks started as a PR campaign for those trade jobs, for skilled labor jobs that didn't require a four-year degree. And then it turned into a scholarship fund. Okay. So that's what you're talking about. A few years after that, starting in 2012, I guess it was, um, we started raising money. And to this day, we give away like a million or two million bucks a year. That's awesome. In work ethic scholarships, specifically for people who want to learn one of these skills. Yeah. So we've helped uh, 17, maybe 1,800 people uh, over the last eight years, mostly the construction trades. But this year, I've opened it up to any skill that doesn't require a four-year degree. So I don't care. Cosmetology, cutting mm -hmm. hair, fine. You know, braiding hair, fine. I just... I just oh, yeah. Because some of that hair is damn 200-pound test, man. You know? <laughs> well... Shit's I'll, heavy. It is heavy. And, you know, I, I don't know what goes on here in uh, in Nashville, but down in, in Georgia, this is terrible. You know, there are a, a lot of black women down there who make their living braiding hair. Mm. But the government had set up this accreditation thing where you you need to literally pay like $20,000 in order to get a license to braid hair. No. Yeah. So it's like, I get it if it's brain surgery. I get it if you're going to take my <laughs> appendix out. You know, I'd, I'd like to see some diplomas on the wall. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see some, you know, but, but to charge a woman who's trying to feed her kids $20,000 for the privilege of braiding hair, that's just freaking criminal. That's cheap. So I got angry about it. I mean, it's all, criminal. That's what I mean. It's cheap of the city to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just dumb. It's just a dumb. Of, of all the ways to raise money, why in the world do you want to tax the people before they've even made a dollar? Now, I think you should make those people get tested once a year to make sure they're decently braiding hair. Now, that's something I do think because I've been at the beach before my little nephew comes back. And you it's know a mess. I mean, just looking like he's a, you know, he comes back and he's also stolen a car. And I'm like, I think they, this is a little too tight over here, you know? <laughs> Got to loosen it up. Yeah, loosen it up right. a little bit. This guy's forgetting his morals, you but, know? But, you know, bad, bad braids are their own bad advertising. That's a good like, point. Nobody goes back. That's true. You know? So it's like, you know, again, it's, it's, it's hair for Christ's sake. So, I, you know. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. So anyhow, that's so you the guys opened it up. Yeah, we we opened all that up, and so today, when I'm not working on whatever show is happening, I I circle back to the people we've given money to, and I ask you know, real probing questions like, "How's it going? <laughs> What's new?" And dude, the answers will fucking make you weep. Like really? I I talked to a guy uh, about eight months ago, who. Uh, <laughs> I gave him $7,000. He got his welding certificate. I said, how's it going? He said, let me show you some pictures. So he's hired three of his best friends. Yeah. They've hired additional people. They got three vans. Yeah, I love vans. They're doing, <laughs> they're doing welding. 
They're, they're doing air conditioning and heating. They're doing electric and they're doing plumbing. Damn. Like, like nine dudes uh, generating about $3 million a yes. year. So, you know, I can walk all that back from a, a seven dollars $8,000 welding certificate. So I'm convinced that that's something we ought to be doing more of. And f- to the extent I can, that that's what I've decided to do. So, yeah, the money I raise selling Noble Tennessee whiskey, named after my pop, goes into that scholarship fund. And that makes me feel like less of, you know, an asshole. Because sometimes you're a guy, you know, holding the penis of a giant bull trying yeah. to catch the white gold and you, and you wonder if your life has any meaning or, yeah. or purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can maybe, you know, maybe help some people who are, who are trying to find their way. You yeah. Know? Blue Chew, have you been on them? Have you tapped into them little blue chewables, baby? Dang, baby, put that low spine in your pants, bud. Spine up that meat. I'm talking about Blue Chew. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Get that cheap, cheap beater. And now they also have Vardenafil Mint flavored chewables. Dang, boy. Imagine having mint in your mouth, baby, and must in your crotch. They got the active ingredient in Levitrin Staxon. So you can stay hard and fresh, boy. God, he's fresh. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com and consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. That's right. And here's a special deal for you. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code T-H-E-O at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code Theo to receive your first month free. A teen solo hitchhiker was terrorized for days by unknown figures dressed in white. Two cops who quit their job at a local theater because of unexplained encounters with an alleged demon and an isolated forest in Canada where people keep turning up headless. Sans cabeza. These are just some of the strange, dark, and mysterious stories you'll hear each week on the Mr. Ballin podcast. That's right. In each episode, Mr. Ballin shares real-life haunting accounts. Like the case of Haley Zaga, Zaga, who disappeared from a hiking trail for 51 hours. Dun, dun, dun. Prime members, listen to the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories in the Amazon Music app. Download the app today. Yeah, no, that's amazing, man. That's really, it's just a neat story, especially when you get that moment where you get to hear that whatever you did was helpful and you get to see that. You're like, man, that's because that's a real thing in somebody's life. Like, especially if somebody's struggling, where I'm from, the only way to get out if you were really struggling, pressure washing was the number one thing. (laughs) If you're poor, and I'll say this, I've said this for years, and you don't have any money, pressure wash, bruh. You got a shot. That'll get you to that next level. You know, it'll get you one stair, two stairs up, you know, because it's a $600 machine you get and you can start your own business. And 
I'll tell you, the beauty of pressure washing is, like so many dirty jobs, you know how you're doing every step of the way. <laughs> you're like, it's it's the walls a mess, and now it's clean. Yeah, it's like so addictive yeah. and weirdly satisfying. You know what I did in uh in in Louisiana once outside of Baton Rouge? I went into a frack tank, right? And the guys who clean the insides of frack tanks. They not only pressure wash, they um, what do you call it when it's when it's not water that's coming out, but these very very fine pellets like sand washing. Oh yeah yeah. Right. So when you blast sand out of a pressure washing unit, it's like a high powered shotgun. Yeah. And you can take the finish off of anything. Take so- the finish off your cousin if you want to, probably, <laughs> huh? These, these guys go inside of these frack tanks, and you're in a you're in full turnout gear, right? You're like in a rubber suit, and you've got the pressure washer, okay. and then you've got it hooked up to this, uh, you know. So you're blasting out these other little pellets, and that is it's a it's basically a sandblaster. That's what it's called, and there it is. That's one of them right there, <clears throat> you know. And that thing hooks up to whatever you want to hook it up to, and man, you feel like the Terminator. Yeah. And so those guys are in there using those things. Huh? Oh, I yeah. see. Wow. But see, that's miniature. The right. thing I had w- really was as big as a shotgun. Mm. And you've got all this compressed air on your back, and you can just take the finish off anything. That AK-40 sand, huh? You- <laughs> that's exactly right. Dang. Now, because um, I used to – what's a job that I had? Oh, I used to get in – so I used to work on a corn – soybean corn and cotton farm right for two years so i would get in uh i'd have to over the winter they would the snakes would get in rats would get inside of the um things that kept the whatever they silos yes rats would get in there and we'd have to get in there and then snakes would get in yep so they'd send me in there to get like the whatever was dead right that's a good one yeah, but the thing is, 90% of the stuff ain't dead. It's still in there hunting. You know what I'm saying? We're still in the last trilogy of Lord of the Rings for these right, things. Right, right, right. And, I'm and just, you're in Mordor. And I'm just rolling up the mountain with a shovel at $4 an hour, you know? Yeah. Like, it was just poor choices. But, dude, it was the scariest. They would leave me in there. They'd be like, all right, we'll be back in a couple hours, man. Get what you can get. Get what you can get. Uh, that should be on a hat too, man, because dude, that's I- it. It was so scary because you'd hear one little thing. You didn't know if it was a mouse or a snake, but either way, it was fucking horrible. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's the stuff. Sometimes I think it's the stuff that you can't see. Yeah. You know, like Dirty Jobs spent a lot of time in the animal kingdom as yeah. well. And, um, you know, I hosted Shark Week for a couple of years. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And, yeah, when you're bit by a shark, I mean, that's that's a whole different – I mean, that that's so horrifying. I, I tested the um, – one of the first stainless steel shark suits uh, with the guy who made it. Wow, and, they, and the shark bit you. Oh, yeah. No, we got bit and turned upside down and shook like a tug toy, man. Ooh. It was, I honestly, that that was the first time I really saw um, my life flash before my eyes because, you know, like you, I'm sure, I, I saw Jaws when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that primal fear of sharks is in everybody's oh. brain. Anything... Like, it's the same thing with a tiger, like a big full-on tiger. Anything that can eat you alive is will, will get you thinking in a different way. Oh, we had a kid at Ernesto that would bite us on the fucking school bus every day. I was so scared of that. That kid alone, crossing from row, like, 7 to row 11, dude, it was 
It was our Euphrates, man. It was unbel- It was impossible to get past that guy. You had a kid named Ernesto on the bus. Oh, he would latch the- on to you, bro. He would come out. I mean, it was like, yeah. What? He bite the head. He bite you. Whatever happened to him? Oh, I'm sure he's probably working for the city. <laughs> you know, but at the time he would bite the. F- he just had some itch, some oral fixation or something or whatever. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I guess maybe I could talk to the network and say, <laughs> look. <laughs> You know, the Shark Week thing, you had a good run. You had a good 25, 30 years. But I know it, dude, <laughs> Ernesto. I think we do Ernesto Week, and oh. we just see where he is, file his teeth down to really take the stakes up a little <laughs> bit, make him good and pointy, and then just have Ernesto hide behind a bush <laughs> and just jump out and bite people. <laughs> and oh, just, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a ratings grabber. <laughs> hey, look, I think we start off like Rabies Wednesday, we call it. I think that's where we start. I don't think we go for a whole shark week. Um, I interrupted your story, though. Go on. I don't know where I was going with it except to say that I've been in silos. Oh, you were in that suit. You were in that shark suit. I was in a shark suit. Yeah. So that's powerful. When it grabs you, you it's really insane. It's it's like a giant with giant hands, um, but... But the hands have gloves on, like boxing gloves, right? And 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 so the you you feel all the pressure of that of those jaws. But the the suit works and that stainless steel keeps the teeth from from going through, usually. Okay. You know, one got through. I got a hole in my shin. Yeah. It's one one little tooth gets through. But but yeah, when they get on your shoulder and when they get on your elbow. They'll twist you, and you will flip upside down, and then they will just shake you like a rag doll. And that that was in uh, 2006, all that happened, and all that aired. And I remember watching it at home and feeling just as terrified as I did when mm. when it was actually happening. And that's weird, because I, I, I know I lived, <laughs> right? I mean, I know how the story right, ends. Right. But it's it's just the the fear of being eaten alive is so is so primal. And the guy I was down there with, we were in the Bahamas and we were kneeling on the ocean floor um about 60 feet down. Oh wow. And you're there with these two big Well, first you're on the boat up top and you take the chum and you throw it, yes. you, know, you just cover it and the sharks come. Mm-hmm. Dozens of gray sharks about 10, 12 feet long and they're everywhere. And you're in a full scuba gear and you're dressed up in this stainless steel suit. Yeah. And um, then when the sharks are right in the middle of the feeding frenzy, you jump in. You just jump. Oh, my God. You jump right into the center of this swirling mass of gray. Jeremiah, the guy who uh, who, who, who took me on this freaking misadventure, called them the uh, the men in the gray suits. Wow. And uh, – and so you sink uh, to the bottom of the ocean and the sharks follow you down and you kneel on the ocean floor and then you open these other containers with more blood and guts in them because the sharks really don't want to bite you. And whose boat is this? M. Night Shyamalan? <laughs> I feel like this has a... I feel like Freaking Titanic. <laughs> yeah. This okay. sounds, it, it sounds biblical and absolutely ridiculous at the same time. You can find... It, it, <laughs> his name is actually Stuart. It's Stuart's Cove and it's down in the... In the uh, Bahamas somewhere. So you're kneeling on the bottom. So you're kneeling on the ocean floor. And then boys come up and start nibbling? And they come up. They they want the fish and the blood that you're holding. Mm. But all you just do is let it go and sit in the middle of it. And then they'll take you. They'll they'll start 
biting at you. Um, and then once they start, they, they really go for it. And I remember looking over, I had a shark on my, uh, I had one on my elbow, my right elbow and my left knee. Mm -hmm. And I thought they were just going to pull me in half like a, like a wishbone. And then I looked over at Jeremiah and he was upside down, sharks all over him. And a big one swam past me <laughs> right in front of him. And the tail knocked his regulator out. So now this dude is upside down. There's blood in the water. Yeah. I don't know if it's his, mine, or the chum. Uh, there's urine in my suit because oh, yeah. all that, you know, all that's all that happened. And um, you know, he just very calmly got the thing back in his mouth and lived to fight another day. It was one of the craziest days, really, on on Dirty Jobs ever. But uh, isn't there something interesting when you're shooting a show? Sometimes it feels like if you died on the show, yeah. you'd come back to life in your regular life. Did you ever have a feeling like that? The feeling I used to get, and 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 it didn't happen on this day. This is one of the rare days where it became so hyper real that I didn't experience the uh, the bulletproof quality that I'm talking about. Like the things I did on camera, the things I was willing to do on camera, I I would never do in real life. Uh, interesting. I, I'm not a stunt junkie. I'm not like, let's go push the envelope. You know, right. I'm just a guy who tried to do a show that looked like work to shut my mother up to honor my granddad. Yeah. Now I'm upside down with sharks biting me. It's like, <laughs> that, that's weird. Right. So it's, so, so when you're out there in the world, you know, whether you're going into an opal mine, which is horrifying or getting bit by a shark or trying to coax the sperm out of a bull called Hunsucker Commando, yeah. you don't, you, you don't think you're in real danger because you're on camera, because you're making a show. You're not actually doing the thing. Right. That's the thing. Even pulling my own parachute with the Golden Knights, you know, when I can still hear the sound of my sphincter slamming shut at 15,000 feet. But you do it because you're just like, there's no way I'm going to die on camera. Right. And the cameras are everywhere. And so you do it. Now, that, of course, is stupid. That's very foolish, but that is a very powerful uh, feeling to answer your question that I had all the time shooting yeah. that show, all the time. Yeah, there's something about, oh, this isn't, I remember one time walking between two hot air balloons on a plank, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, if I die, I'll just wake up back off camera. <laughs> yeah, it's not real. Yes, it doesn't. It's not real. Yeah, it doesn't feel real. It feels like this other adventure. That why were you doing that, man? Why were you on a plank between two hot air balloons? I was doing an MTV show, and we just had. Um, that was one of the things we had to do. You know, <laughs> we did some weird shit, man. One time, this was a crazy thing we did. One time, they had a wood chipper. Right, <laughs> we did the opposite. I think of of what you did, Mike. We didn't help society or or learn anything. This wasn't a job. This was just <laughs> yeah. jackass meets fear factor. You know, with stakes. Yeah, this was like, this was, and they paid us minimum wage, too, to do this. Mm. We made so much money uh, for this for this production company and everything. Uh -huh. But um, they put animal carcasses in this wood chipper, and then they um, shot, it was like a industrial, like the best one you could get. I mean, like something God would have, you know? And it would shoot the stuff like 60 yards. And we had these buckets on our head. Remember uh -huh. like uh, Double Dare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And we had these buckets on our head, and we're trying to catch the most 
guts. Yes, the most you could at literally 60 yards, man. So we're talking like Justin Bear throws it or Herbert yeah, yeah. throws it. You know, I don't know how to say it, but um, yeah, I remember when this one chick caught a Cossacks right in the face, man. Some kind of damn animal Cossacks or something. And uh, <laughs> a cockney, you mean the, the tailbone? She was never the same, man. <laughs> Once you get hit with a coxswain, you can't go back from that. I mean, look, a lot of women want a little bit of coxswain to the face now and then. Now and then. But I mean, I mean, at least she has a story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's got a scar story. What happened to your face? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. Coxswain. Yeah. Not the co- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hit me about 40 miles an hour. <laughs> you, a, a, di- a dismembered, disembodied coxswain caught me on the left side of the face. Different That's amazing. Times. That's amazing. You know, for me, the uh, those... It's that feeling that you're sort of invincible in making a show, but every now and then a thing will happen, right? So it, it happened with the Sharks, mm-hmm. but the one the one I remember best was, um, have you ever been on the Mighty Mac? It's a bridge between the Upper and Lower Peninsula in Michigan. Mm-mm. The Mackinac Bridge, it's five miles long, it's green. I believe in it, I've just never been there. It has to be painted constantly. I mean, you did they you never stop painting. The the minute you finish, you just start over again. Why? What's going on? People are stealing the paint? <laughs> no, it just by the time you get to the end of it, it's two years later and, oh. and it needs to be painted again. Wow. So so I want to see that Mackinac Bridge go on. I, I wanted to paint the Mackinac Bridge on dirty jobs. Yeah. And so they 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 brought me out there and they let me paint it. And it was amazing. And then they let me go into the towers and down below the water and, and clean the inside of these like honeycombs, which is freaking terrifying. And then at the end of the day, I did something. <laughs> I asked the question and I knew the answer would be no. But I wanted to ask the question on camera because I wanted everybody to know what a badass I was, right? Yeah. So, so I say to the guy who was in charge of the whole thing, I said, hey, uh, before we leave, what do you say uh, I walk across that girder and step over that stanchion and walk up that cable? See those green cables there? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you know, some somebody must have to change those light bulbs. Um, that would be a cool shot because we have a helicopter with us with mm-hmm. a Westcam unit on yeah. it. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and how wide are those cables? Those cables are probably three feet in diameter. Oh, wow. Right? So I asked the question knowing that the guy would say um, – well, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. Of course we're not going to let you do that. But he looks at me and he says, okay. <laughs> so I walk across this girder <laughs> and I start walking up this cable. Yeah. And so the way you do it is you tie off on both sides. So you're walking up a hill. Mm-hmm. You got a clip in your right hand. You got a clip in your left hand. There it is, right? Just like this, right? Okay. So I got a camera screwed to my head shooting backwards. I got that guy encouraging me to go forward. Mm-hmm. And I got a bag on my back full of light bulbs that right. have to be replaced. Got it. So that little uh, wire that comes up, uh, you can see them, those guide wires, every 30 feet or so, mm-hmm. you have to undo. And go around it. And go around. And the reason you have two is so that you never are completely not tied off, ah. right? And, and so Somebody learned that the hard way. You bet they did. <laughs> So right here, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm being super careful. I don't want to fall to my death. I'm uh, 300 feet above the road and 600 feet above the water. Amazing. Right? And that's a pretty great shot. Won an Emmy for that shot, actually. That's amazing. From a helicopter. So we're walking up there, 
and I'm doing my job. And how many gay men love this shot, huh? <laughs> I don't, we'll take a poll. <laughs> I mean, I bet, dude. I got a gay. I'm gonna send him this later, bro. It was. I mean, it, it was a big day. So, what you're seeing now is me getting increasingly confident as I <laughs> as I do the job. All right, and so you tie off, you tie back on. Yeah. You tie off, there it is. That's me doing it properly. So at some point, I get about three quarters of the way up here, and I'm communicating with the pilot of the helicopter and the cameraman in the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. And we're trying to get the shot, right? So that, so the helicopter comes up, and this is not for the for the episode. This is for a promo. This is just, I, I know it's going to be a great way to promote the episode. This is hype. So I want to get this shot just right. So I'm sitting, uh, straddling a uh, one of those stanchions. Mm -hmm. I just replaced the bulb. And somehow or another, in the midst of all the conversation, you know, the guy behind me is not in this shot. I get him out of the shot because okay. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting right. a promo, right? So I want it clean. Long story short, um, I am holding on to the stanchion here, the helicopter's coming up like this in front of me. I got a light bulb in this hand and I'm, I'm leaning over, right? So like between my toes is 600 feet straight down and I'm looking at these tankers that look like toys going mm -hmm. underneath the bridge. And I'm sitting there and up comes the camera and I realize somehow or another, I'm not tied off mm. to anything. I had unclipped myself, and I didn't clip back in. Point of the story is, nothing changes. I'm as high as I was a second earlier. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing anything different. I'm simply aware that suddenly the the safety net is gone. Right. There's nothing there. So the stakes are higher. That's all. And that's the moment, Theo, when the sound of your sphincter echoes in your mind, yeah. right? Nothing changes, but holy crap. You took your eye off the ball and the cameras can't save you. The helicopter can't save you. You're just an idiot. Yeah. Dangling <laughs> 600 feet in the air, right? And so, yeah, it, it, it was moments like that during the show that um, reminded me, you know, don't, don't be an idiot. The cameras actually can't save you. And people, people get hurt bad people die every day doing this kind of work people you know? die every day i think that's why god made so many people because <clears throat> you, we need repeated examples that people aren't going to make it it's the darwin awards man um the herd gets thin i know huh it's scary yeah, yeah. um what's been something like uh what's going on with like do you fear, because obviously people tie you in a lot with like working class, right? You yeah. get tied in. Yeah. You know, um, you know the guy that was in La Bamba? Yeah. Um, I can't remember his, his name, name right now. Richie Valens is the character he played, but I don't remember his name. Right. But he always gets invited to all these Mexican things, and he's yeah. Native American, right? right. Which right, is, right, right. so people just get tied in sometimes to things, right? But he goes to these awards things every year. It's, it's awesome, right? Sometimes it's yeah. like... Uh, the screen will make you a part of things, even if, yep. you know, like in, time. in your story, you're almost living your grandfather's, you know, some of his dream, right? Yeah. Some of yours and some of his. Um, but what I'm what I'm saying is like, do you, what do you think about like the future of like jobs and stuff? Do you feel like we're in a scary spot? Do you feel like that's just hype that we're in a scary spot? No, we're in a scary spot. We're in a scary spot. Uh, 
two things. First of all, yeah, the visuals will define you. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how hard you work. Like on Dirty Jobs, not a single episode went by where I didn't say something along the lines of, look, I'm not an expert. This is not what I do in real life. I'm here as an apprentice. I'm not here as a host. I'm here as a guest, like an avatar. My job is just to try and keep up. Those guys are the experts. They're the real workers. Mm -hmm. I'm an actor. At least I used to be once upon a time. And before that, I was a singer. I sang in the Baltimore (laughs) Opera for eight years, right? Like I never never tried to hide who I was or, or what I'd done. None of that matters, Theo, because when you're flicking around and you see a guy dressed up like a worker wearing a hard hat doing a job, you make all kinds of assumptions about that guy. Yeah. And then, you know, later when people discover, like, you know, like it was some secret that I did some off-Broadway shows and I sang- I love Newsies, okay? (laughs) But not Glee, right? (laughs) Okay, you're right. Right. But I mean, so it's, people today have a hard time with the cognitive dissonance that comes from the fact the two things can be true at the same time. It's true that I sang in the opera for years and I had a great time. I loved it. It's true that I went to a four-year school. It's also true uh, that I became one of the loudest proponents for vocational education in the country. Right. It's true uh, that that I I work on blue-collar shows. Like all these things are true. And so some people have a difficult time um, processing it. Right. Because it's hard to see people as more than one thing sometimes too. It's like our brain just wants to make it easy on ourselves as well. Assume, that's right. You know, what can I what can I assume from a guy with a haircut like yours, a ball cap, a vest, a t-shirt, you know? The honest answer is freaking nothing. There's nothing to assume at all. But – I'm trained to make all kinds of assumptions. Yeah. And, I'm, and, and so that thing is alive in our culture and it's yeah. alive in our workforce. And it's, it's just bitching everything up because people simply can't they, – they just can't process the cognitive dissonance of it. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, we're, we're in real trouble. Um, I had a guy on my podcast uh, just a couple weeks ago, an economist – Named uh, Nicholas Eberhardt. Okay. This guy is brilliant. Harvard, all the abbreviations after his name that you want, uh, American Enterprise Institute, wrote a best-selling book in 2016 called Men Without Work. Just republished it because the contention in the book is now on steroids. Wow. And basically what he's saying is never mind the unemployment numbers. They don't matter. That's a depression era metric and it doesn't tell us anything we really really need to know here's what we need to know seven million able-bodied men between the ages of 25 and 54 are not only not working they are not looking Mm. they're affirmatively not looking for work never in the in in peacetime never has that metric existed before We have 4 million more open jobs today than we did pre-pandemic, and we have 4 million fewer people in the workforce. It's really bad, and you can't find an employer in 
anywhere today who is not desperate to hire. So like that that's actually happening. So some of the things that I hear when I'm out and about, you know, um, you hear from some people that they're not paying enough, right? Oh, sure. Um, and then you hear from other people that if they weigh, if they raise the minimum wage in some job in some uh, businesses, then it'll kill the business. Sure. Um, I think greed is also probably a big problem that's happened in this country. It's like we don't, you don't want the man who's working with you to also have success at some point. It's like, it's exactly what we just said about two things being true at the same time and people struggling with it. Um, it is, it is true that lots and lots of people are out of work. Uh, it is true that even more people aren't looking for work. If I tell you that there are 11 million open jobs in the country right now, that's not political. That's just a fact. And, and no one can dispute it. No one does dispute it. But what immediately happens is my buddies on the left, to your point, when I say, why do you think there's so much opportunity here that, that can't be filled? They'll say, because, because business owners are pricks. They're greedy and they're rapacious. And if they paid more money, those jobs would fill. My buddies on the right, when I ask them the same question, will say, because people are lazy. People mm-hmm. are just lazy. They don't want to work. They won't show up early. They won't stay late. They won't take a bite of the shit sandwich when it's their turn. They won't do the thing that needs to be done. So that's how it becomes politicized. It it doesn't change the fact that there's still 11 million open jobs. But if we want to argue that the jobs are open because the opportunities are shitty versus the jobs are open because people don't want to work, then we're going to paint with a really broad brush and we're not going to solve the problem. The truth is exactly as you said it. Sure, greed factors into it, but so does work ethic. You know, my foundation offers work ethic scholarships because I think I think work ethic actually is under siege. And I don't think it has as much to do. It has something to do with benefits. It has something to do with pay. But but it's not just that. It's it's a real clear and present uh, aversion to to getting in there. And, you know, and I mean, I, I don't care if it's blue collar or or white collar you know i my work ethic whatever that means um i i learned it as a kid i learned it from my pop and and, and it's got nothing to do with the trades your work ethic how, how many shows you do a year how many podcasts you oh, do man, a week? i did a meal for years i did i put in a i put in my work yeah. you know and i still do you still do yeah and i still want to make it better and you are and and like to me, I mean, I, I don't know a ton about your career, but the thing I like a lot about everything you've done is that you're actually a fairly serious person, and you and you have, uh, you have a platform, and you have listeners, and you have the ability to do things and say things that might actually help somebody, and you're doing it, right? And and you're not doing it for a medal, you're not doing it for a prize, you don't have to do it though. You know, you don't have to do any of this, right? So, you know, I, I I admire that, and and the people that my foundation tries to help have that quality, right? And I'm sorry, but I got to put my I put my thumb on the scale too, and I say if you're if you're not willing to take a bite of the shit sandwich from time to time, 
then why should I give you money that people trust me to dispense judiciously and mm-hmm. and and fairly, you know? So I am in a weird spot. People get angry at me a lot now because they're like, well, who are you? I got this thing called a sweat pledge, mm-hmm. all right? Some people love it. Some people hate it. And what is that from? Like a Sigma Nu or something? <laughs> so so I, had a, I, had a, I had a couple drinks one night, uh, like eight years ago, and I was trying to figure out what what can I do to, to get people to talk about work ethic? How can I challenge them? You know, I can't look into their soul, but like what are 12 things that I believe are true uh, mm. and, and really impact people's success? So I wrote these 12 things down. Sweat, uh, it stood for something. Uh, skill and work ethic aren't taboo, right? It was just a thing to get high school kids thinking and talking about the value of an honest day's work. And... Um, you know, it said the sweat pledge says things like, I think the first one is, um, I believe I've hit the greatest lottery of all time. I'm alive. I live in America. Yeah. Above all things, I'm grateful. All right. So I feel that way. And I understand that life's not fair. And I understand that other people feel different ways. But but if you don't fundamentally feel jazzed and psyched and excited by this brief little time you've been given to fog a mirror and walk around on this planet, man. If you're not stoked by that, I can't help you. I don't. I don't want to help you. Yeah, I, I don't because because there are other people out there who are showing up early and staying late. There there are people out there who understand uh, delayed gratification. They understand. Mm. They understand the the most important rungs on the ladder. You mentioned the minimum wage. I get shit for this all the time, but it's like those. Those minimum wage jobs, you know, they're not meant to be careers. Right. They're they're meant to be a thing you do for a time so you can learn about that thing and get paid something for your trouble. You know, those lower rungs on the on the ladder, they're they're important. Right. Because <laughs> they get you to the middle. But you shouldn't monkey around there forever if you can help it. And and you should try to help it. Look, again. Cookie cutter advice is dangerous. Right. Everybody's different. And there's outlier circumstances. Always. People have children. They don't have any other choice. That's not who you're su- suggesting to. It's like, but if someone's going to just sit at that position and then complain about it, uh, then it kind of creates a different set of circumstances. Here's the scary thing about Nick Ebersat's conversation with me. The thing that really stuck, it wasn't that 7 million able-bodied men are affirmatively not looking for work. It's what they're doing instead. And there's a lot of research on this. Vaping? Worse. What they're doing instead, and this and this data, by the way, comes from self-reporting surveys. So this is what the seven million men have have explained is is taking up all their time. Ninety percent of them are spending over 2,000 hours a year on screens. Mm, Yeah. Now, 2,080 hours, that's 40 hours a week. That's a full-time job. These guys are spending a full-time job's amount of time on screens. Well, here would be my thought then. At some point, was our government, and I know this is like – People are going to say, well, you can't respect your government to take care of you and this and that. And I don't either. I don't expect I don't expect my government to take care of me. I have to take care of myself. 
But at some point, was there supposed to be some protection against the addiction to screens? Like, hmm. it's obviously <laughs> dangerous for us. People die because they're texting. People are losing their human instincts because their human connect. You know, it's it's so obvious. Yeah, it's like it's not that obvious. It's obvious now, but you know, it's it's you got to think of it like prohibition. You know, people looked at booze. And got to the point where it became undeniable that it was destroying lives. And so uh, in the 1920s, we just decided that's it. No more booze. We're going to prohibit it. Well, that ain't going to work, you know, because not everybody wrestles with the same problem the same way. And you can cross out booze and write in porn. Cross out porn and vaping and write in vaping. Cross that out and write in. You know, and so, but then all of a sudden you get to fentanyl and now, no, your, your, your experience is not going to vary. You're going to die. Right. Right. And, and, and then put in screens. Now there's something different about screens. It's, it's the addiction and it's the fun of it. I mean, look, I, I, I literally, I sat on the bowl the other day and I don't like to linger on the bowl longer than necessary. Yeah, my you hemorrhoids, legs, yeah. You cramp up. You my know, circulation, I can't walk away from it. You stand up and you fall down you, yeah. like a cheap card table <laughs> because I'm sitting there on TikTok or Reels yeah. just like, oh, God, I, and suddenly I got 20 minutes. I stopped crapping 20 minutes ago yeah. and there I sit, right? That, and 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 look. It's addictive. It's, and they created the algorithm beyond what we can, we can't even handle it anymore. But you here, turn that on, you go into it. Dude, I'm 60 years old, okay? Um, I have had a, a certain amount of success in my life. I've seen a lot of things. I'm not a foolish person. I sat on the bowl for 20 minutes mm. until I lost my circulation looking at this thing. Yeah. All right. And I'm busy. <laughs> I got five shows going on. I do a podcast. I'm running a foundation. I'm trying to launch a line of whiskey. I'm busy. But I sat there for 20 minutes as all the blood left my legs. Yeah. You know. Waiting to see the next little magic trick yeah. where the next guy take a pie in the face. Yeah. What the fuck? What, what is that? Right? And so there is something about the screen that is different than booze and different than porn and different than all these other things that came along that would keep an otherwise busy, sensible man sitting on the bowl wasting time. Mm. So why are 7 million people sitting home doing this? Because they like it. Because it's fun. Because they can. You know? So- you know, oh, and the other thing you said before, I think, is so true. It's the, it, we all want feedback. Remember early on, we were talking about the feedback from a podcast, the mm -hmm. feedback from a TV show, the amount of time you have to wait to see did it rate? We're going to wait for Nielsen. We're going to wait for PodTrack. We're going to wait for somebody somewhere to let us know if what we did worked. Mm -hmm. You can post this conversation with you and me right now on YouTube or wherever it goes. And know in real time how we're doing. Yeah. You can just watch it happen. And man, that's addictive too. For me, that's interesting because we all want feedback. We all want to know how we're doing. And there's the, the screen offers something like that. Yeah. How pissed do you get? How, how impatient do you get when you text somebody and they don't text you right oh, back? Oh, it's unreal. It's, unreal. it's like, what happened? Don't give me the three dots. I see. I know you read it. Know. Son of a bitch, I know. I know. Huh? I know you read it, but what you doing? You know what they're doing? They're sitting on a toilet, watching some asshole 
with respect, walk a plank between two hot yeah, air balloons. Watching, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Or right? watching autism construction. That's what I watch all the autism. time. It's like wood, you know, birdhouses and a lot of, you know, I, I get caught into that world. But um, uh, one thing that's also interesting, it's interesting, Mike, we used to go to our grandparents for a skill. You know, we used to go to like, if you needed a skill, you had to be an apprentice. If you needed a skill, you had to go to yes. a master of the skill and get it, you Correct. know? Correct. And then now with like YouTube and how-to videos, that's become everybody's grandfather. That's become everybody's father in a lot of ways. We've we've killed, not killed, but we've hampered the, the skill sets and the connective pieces that even connected uh, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. Dude, that is, you know, you know? I, I call it the death of grout. The grout is the stuff that connects mm. the tiles. It's the connective tissue, you know. And and we haven't, to your point, eliminated it, but but we've replaced it. So Zoom learning is not the same as classroom learning. And YouTube instruction is not the same as hands-on apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. And it, there's nothing inherently wrong with Zoom or YouTube, but they're selling it to us like it's the same thing, and that's a lie. It's like that movie. You ever see Pet Cemetery? Uh, oh yeah. So the cat, what was his name? Uh, mm. Church. Mm-hmm. Right, the cat that comes back to life. That's a bad cat, dude. Right. I mean, the yeah. cat. The cat dies. They bury it, and it comes back. And of course, the same thing happens with their kid. And that's what these things are. They're versions of the original, like multiplicity, like Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Like he keeps cloning versions of himself, and each one gets dumber and less competent and more entitled and more tragic. And so, yeah, you can replace these things with these other things, but there's going to be hell to pay. There's always going to be an unintended consequence. I don't care if you're talking about rent control or the minimum wage or Zoom learning for school learning, right? There's, there's, it's a poor substitute. It's a substitute. You know, rent control is a poor substitute for self-sufficiency. A minimum wage is a poor substitute for people who refuse or can't leave the rung where they're standing, you know, you just wind up enabling the very kinds of behavior that, that we all know we'd like to improve. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's what I think about today, you know, when I'm not trying to get the sperm out of a bull called Hunsucker Commando. Yeah. Look, I masturbated 11 hours ago, so. Yeah? How'd it go? It went like it goes. Yeah? You know, that's the problem with it. It's like right when you're done, you're like, ah, I knew it was going to be just like that. Yeah, but I mean, do you feel it like was well? Pretty, I thought actually, you know what? Actually, I'm going to quit saying that. You know what, dude? You I nailed did it. A good job. You crushed it. And I didn't take it super easy. I freaking, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of made it. You know, I, I made it a little bit more exciting than usual. Nothing insane, you know, because I was trying to get to sleep. But well, I mean, but who are you trying to impress, really? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing. If 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 you get too wrapped up in the performance of self abuse, then. You lose the authenticity. I think you do. <laughs> Way to land the plane and bring it back to where we started. And talk about immediate feedback. You know how you're doing, you know? Yeah, you do. You always know how you're doing when you're rubbing one out. You know, it's just like, ah, you know what? This is this is not going well. 
Yeah. You know, maybe you got the wheel of options that's spinning, right? And you're like, ah, oh, maybe this, maybe I'll stop here. Maybe I'll stop there. Yeah. Mom, what are you doing there? Get <laughs> off that thing. That's that's no good. And then suddenly it's like, you know something? I'm just going to go to sleep. That's a bad one, right? Yeah, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. Um, I had one last question. How close are we before you have to go? I don't know. What time is it? It's 12.05. I have to pee really bad. Do you? I could pee, yeah. Oh, there was one question I wanted to ask you before we move on. How how did, did globalization really ruin us? Because <laughs> a lot of times I think like, you know, Mike, I think like, like my mom grew up in Wyoming, Illinois, right? It's a small town. Yeah. And uh, there are some, uh, they used to have, I think, FMC. They made like elevator parts and stuff like that. Or sure. like the, the gangplanks that go from the plane to the yeah. terminal. Yeah. Um, and my grandfather worked over there. And um, Purina was like in like some of the nearby towns in Iowa mm-hmm. and had like offsets in Illinois. And it was interesting because it was like as a kid, your dad worked at the factory. And so you had a piece of pride and whatever. Oh, well, this dog food, they my dad, they make that at the factory or this table. Oh, they make that at the factory. And um, so there was a sense of like. What you were using, you there was just a connectivity, a fabric of it all. It was local. Yeah. It's the grout we were talking about. The grout is the, you know, it it holds communities together. It holds zip codes together. It holds towns together, states together, and it holds the country together. Will it hold the world together? Well, I don't know. I, I'm suspicious of it because, you know, there's some very, very big differences between this country and Russia and China in Iran and the UK and France for that matter. We're, 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 we're not, we're not fundamentally different as a species, but we're fundamentally different as a society. Yeah. And so, you know, when you say has globalization wrecked the country, you know, my, my slip is showing here a little bit, but I'll tell you, I, I look at it like if you had a gifted and talented kid, really smart, right? How would you feel about putting him in a public school, you'd, you'd worry, right? You'd look, you'd look at him or her and you'd be like, I don't, I don't think that this is the best environment to nurture the, the qualities my, my kid has. Right. Right. So I, I look at our economy that way. Our economy is gifted and talented. We, we built an amazing machine in this country in, in the 20th century. We were not dependent on foreign powers. We were not dependent on foreign countries, especially foreign countries who affirmatively seem to hate us. Yeah. Right. So I, <laughs> That's a weird I, part of it. I don't, I don't personally feel good knowing that our, our pharmacological needs uh, are completely dependent on China. I don't, yeah, me either. I don't feel good about that. I, I, I don't feel good about the fact that your your granddad or whoever was making those jetways, you know, those jetways aren't made there anymore. Right. You know, Purina's not Purina anymore. Um, and so in almost every industry, there's been a hollowing out. You know, it's easy to talk about manufacturing, and I do that all the time with my foundation because you can go through the Rust Belt and through Appalachia and you can see we're just not making that kind of thing here anymore. Oh, yeah, and it's heartbreaking. It I, I think it's heartbreaking because – because we're in this space where everything is designed to please the consumer 
and we forget that workers are also consumers. So they're, the problem is, in my view, everybody in the country is a consumer, but not everybody is a worker. And consequently, you, what can you say about the reality of walking into a Walmart and being able to purchase everything you need at a really affordable price? That's all made possible because that stuff is not made here. Right. right. And so we we made a decision. We made a bargain decades ago that says, all right, we're going to put our gifted and talented kid into this low performing school. Yeah. And we're going to pay the price for that. But we're also going to enjoy what comes back, which is abundant, free stuff. Bad shelving. Yes. Bad shelving. Right. But I mean. I don't like but as much bad shelving as you want. That's right. All you can eat. You know, all you can that's eat. it. You, you know, the good news is you can have all you can eat. The bad news is you're going to the Golden Corral. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, I mean, with respect, no offense no. to those. That be, but, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's all you want of stuff you, that doesn't really nourish you. And stuff that doesn't mean anything. And then I wonder, like in China or some of these places, and I'm obviously generalizing, but that's okay because I don't know that much. It's your podcast, dude. You can generalize. Yeah. And I miss the days of being able to fucking generalize because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm bringing them back. Um, but in China, that, that guy doesn't care about the sweater he's making for somebody a million. It doesn't, you know, he, so then he leaves work. There's no, there's no spirit in any of it. There's oh, no like. Dude, that's brilliant. And, and you're right. And the, it kills those people. His, her, th that kid's dad comes home from work, and the, the look in his eyes is like, oh, I made something for somebody a million miles away that I'll never even know and don't even care about. Back to the feedback we were just talking about. If you don't know how you're doing, right, whether you're hosting a TV show or a podcast or rubbing one off 11 hours ago, yeah, right? Ugh. Right. If you don't know how you're doing, you're going to be disconnected from the task at hand. And- I, it, that's a, a really smart observation. If you spend your days and nights making widgets for people you never meet, then you will never be connected to anything other than the transactional brute realities of your job. And that sucks. And that's why so that's why I stay out of labor disputes, mm. you know, because unions have an argument to be made. And <laughs> and so too does does capital and and people who take the risk to create the companies right the these two things can't be enemies but we continually talk about them like it's constantly one against the next and in the midst of all that screaming past each other what do we do we become more and more dependent on cheap crap made in china more and more dependent on really important things now our whole supply chain is baked in to the globalization that that you're talking about. Yeah. And dude, don't even get me started on energy. How dependent, you know, how much do you want to pay for gas? Really? I mean, how what are we doing? Why are we relying why are we relying on anyone other than us? Hmm. We could do it. Yeah. We could build the factories back. We could do it. I'm not saying don't trade. I'm not saying be isolationist. Right. I'm saying you're going to negotiate from a much stronger position if you don't need them. It's, yeah. It's fine to want them, but if you need them, you're screwed. And I don't know why we would put ourselves in a position where we need pipelines that run through countries that hate us.
when we're sitting on an absolute abundance of affordable, reliable energy right now. It makes me crazy. Yeah. Yeah, there's a new company I was reading about called Vespine, actually, and they take – they process um, the methane gas. Yeah. And uh, they put something over a landfill that processes it and turns it currently into Bitcoin mining. Uh-huh. But eventually we'll be able to create like a gas station that will power – you have energy to power vehicles. Yeah, I've seen it. It's um, It's related to – carbon recapture. Mm -hmm. So there's some big, big companies now uh, that are taking the carbon that is generated from fracking right. and blasting it back into the earth. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's unbelievable technology and it's going to wind up leaving big energy companies carbon neutral. Like in the next couple of years. I know. It's, cra it's crazy. Yeah, there's one that does it for fracking, and then this is a new one that's doing it with uh, the methane, I think, from and, – and look, I'm speaking. I'm not a – I don't know about this stuff, but I know about the uh, the excitement of um, young companies like this and like just the novelty of Dude, it. Dude, good for you. I'm, look, I – People tell me whenever I get into this world, it's like, hey, man, why don't you just stay in your lane, right? Well, you know what my lane is? I'm addicted, man. I, I am an addict. Mm -hmm. I am addicted to smooth roads and affordable electricity mm -hmm. and indoor plumbing. You know, we all have skin in this game. And mediocre coffee. And mediocre coffee that gets cooler and cooler every second. Um, but look, I, I, I think it's great that you're talking about Vespine. In fact, you should call him. Get him a, a sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Brought to you by Vespine. I'll um, do the voiceover if you want, man. Yeah, no, uh, I've heard your voiceover is pretty. It's, no, no, it's, it's all right. top dollar voice. It's all right. You got some. Uh, that's some. Uh, that's some ninety five octane. High above the vast reaches of the barren Serengeti, <laughs> the bald eagle watches as the lonely wildebeest wanders away from the herd. That's the very first thing I ever got paid to do. A, a, a nature documentary for. Uh, for National Geographic. I was wow. 22, and they thought I was like 40. Yeah. That's funny. God, yeah. Oh, I bet. Dude, I bet you could buy beer. Just You didn't have to walk in. They just had to open the door and be like, I'll take two cases of Bud Light. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, any ID, sir? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> just give me the beer. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of time. And I'm pretty thirsty. Do you ever remember buying, was there ever, do you remember the first time you bought beer illegal or no? Uh, I do. Uh, I walked into a place called the Old Philadelphia Inn. Yeah. I was probably uh, 16 years old with my friend Jeff Wilson. And um, Jeff uh, wrestled. Uh, he was a 230-pounder, um, high school, just a mountain of a guy. Yeah. And I sounded older than I was, and they didn't even blink. Yeah, they sold it to us. Hell yeah. Damn right. This is a simpler time, Theo. It was so much fun, wasn't it? It was so scary. Remember how scary it was? Oh, my God. I do. And remember I do. when you give them, if they did ask your ID, you give it to them and then try to look like you were older? <laughs> right. Like checking my watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, got, yeah. I got somewhere to be. Yeah. Oh, my son. I'd say that to my buddy I'm standing there with. <laughs> oh, my son. He has epilepsy. I'd make up. They're like, what? <laughs> epilepsy. You eight month old with epilepsy? <laughs> this guy needs a drink. Somebody uh, help him. God, I miss that. Is there a sport that you really like? I just went to an LSU game the other day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I played baseball um, through through high school, and I still watch it. Um, 
I was a big football fan. I grew up in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting. I, I go back to Baltimore a lot now. Um, and somebody asked me the other day uh, if I'd seen the Ravens game. It was a Sunday, and they, they had just played, and I didn't. And, and, and they're like, how do you not know what the Ravens did? You're back in Baltimore. And I told him the truth. I said, you know, in, in March of 1986, uh, I was about the biggest Colts fan there was. Mm -hmm. Season tickets. I was dating a cheerleader. Ooh. Um, and my best friend played in the Colts marching band. And one night, Robert Ursay sent the Mayflower vans yeah. at three in the morning. And the next day they were gone. They're just fucking gone, man. And I couldn't believe it. And to answer your question, something happened to me with, with big organized professional sports. And yeah. it happened in March 1986 when the Colts left in the middle of the night. That's when I realized uh, the players have their agents and managers and the owners have their lawyers. But the fans have nothing. Mm. The fans have nothing. And the degree, the degree to which that team, the extent that they that they mattered to to Baltimore, you just can't overstate it. And like that, they were gone. And for that reason, I've never had an agent. I've never had a manager. It 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 changed the way I thought about show business. It changed the way I thought about sports. And to really bring it back to where we started, that's why I watch cornhole and darts. That's probably why I was catching poop in midair. Yeah. It, it was it was simpler. It's it was, pure. It was pure. It was like I, you know, fresh off the spigot. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? Really? I do. I it's do. pure. It's like how pure can this get? I agree. The NFL feels so unpure these days. A lot of it feels I love UFC became my favorite sport in the past few years, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. I think because of some of the purity of the the fight getting to know some of the fighters and just seeing what it is. It's mono e mono out there, you know? So I was in the guy who produced Dirty Jobs mm -hmm. with me originally, uh, Craig Pelligian was his name, was the same guy who produced The Ultimate Fighter for Spike TV. Mm -hmm. and The what, boxing show? Uh, the no, Ultimate Fighter. Dana White's Oh, can, Okay, Empire. The Ultimate Fighter. Right, right. Okay, the I know Ultimate what you're talking fighter. about. Yeah. I walked in Craig's office one day, uh, halfway through the first season of Dirty Jobs, and there was this big, bald dude, and they were finishing up a deal. And I, I walked in just in time to see him shake hands. And then Dana looked at me and he was like, hey, man, I, I enjoy your show. And I'm like, well, thanks. What's your deal? And he told me what he was doing. And I just said very casually to Craig, um, I said, hey, man, I do the VO for that. That sounds like fun. I did 12 seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. Wow. Previously on The Ultimate Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Right? It was just that stuff. And um, I, I really never got to see one, but I would go into the booth every week and there was always a stack of copy and some of the ultimate fighter was always in there. So my whole uh, experience in that world was just narrating it. And I hadn't, I didn't even see the show for a couple of seasons. Wow. And, that, and then I sat down and I watched and I was like, holy crap, man, this is why boxing is over. Done. It this is why it's over. Back to the authenticity. It's like, yeah, you're not fixing that fight. Right. Right, that's what it seemed like. There's no way to fix it. Nope, nope, no easy way. And you know, I, I, it was amazing to watch that that happen. That to bring back that level of 
uh, gladiator ness. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's listen. It it, it a lot of people f- have strong feelings both ways, but I think that was in our culture one of the early uh, indicators that people were hungry for something else, right? People were yeah. hungry for something that was real mm-hmm. because reality was no longer real. Nope. Nonfiction was bullshit. Yeah. There were no podcasts yet. No. You know, Joe Rogan wasn't doing his thing uh, back when that started. So, you know, you we've lived to see like some huge, huge changes and your your audience is a part of it and you're a part of it. And it's it it's a trip to watch it. And I, I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. Yeah, me either. I think we about at time. Do you think we are, Mike? I don't what know. What's what my clock say here? Somebody's picking me up in three minutes. Yeah. So I got I got three minutes to say something like really, really, really unforgettable. Hmm. Let me think if there was something I would want to know. <laughs> oh, dear. Nope, I'm tapped out. All you- curious. <laughs> nope. No longer curious. Do you remember your first kiss ever in life? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her name was Donna. Oh, Donna. Don, I met a girl, mm. and Donna was her name. Yeah, God. It, and believe it or not, it was spin the bottle. God, was it, huh? Yeah, man. And uh, it was dark. Yeah. And I spun it, and it landed where I wanted it to land. God. And I remember scooting myself across oh. the, 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 the shag carpet in the basement, and she scooted herself toward me. And... Uh, God, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was something else. Yeah, it was something else. Huh. I love that. Was a that. good one. How about you? Um, there was, uh, I think, one time some people, I think, locked us in a room one time. Me and this girl that had this, she had like this kind of chipped tooth, this Lloyd Christmas going on, you know. <laughs> this girl named Chrissy, beautiful girl. Uh huh. I don't, but uh, part of me doesn't know if there was, it was either that or this other time we played a spin the bottle game, and there was this girl named Emily was our last name nice oh we're doing last names now well and i'm gonna take that out (laughs) (laughs) but man she looked like a million angels dude she looked like i could close my eyes and see her even more brighter than i could see her if i was looking right at her yeah and uh and i and i was like oh my god she's really gonna do it i hadn't i I just thought any girl later on they weren't really gonna kiss me you know like i just felt like such a failure in that space and um and I got close to her and I'd only seen people kiss like by opening their mouths and kiss like French kissing or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I like went at her like a fish, you know, like <laughs> like you're taking a bite out of an oh, apple. Dude. And, and I, like I put my mouth my mouth like over her mouth. Yeah. And it made no sense and everybody was like what's happening? And I think it just got it just went downhill. I kind of like Went like you know, that. I, I did the same thing, but not on my first kiss. Oh. I, there was a girl a couple, like maybe a year later, and I realized that every kiss I had ever attempted up to that point, I was doing what you were doing. Not not to that extent, but I was always on the outside of, of their lips. You know what I mean? I was, it, yes. It made me feel like, okay. But this girl, her, her name is Debbie. Oh, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm not using the last name because you might not take it out. But she had it in her head that that her job was to be on the outside of my lips. So the first couple of times we tried to make out, it really looked like two people trying to eat each other's heads. <laughs> right? It was just, just bigger and bigger and wider and wider. And both eventually both our mouths are as open as they can be with these awful <laughs> tongues just flailing around and just 
nose to nose. And I remember opening my eyes and seeing that her eyes were open. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what am I doing? What are you doing? You don't know how to make out. You know, we should probably just start groping. It's it's simpler. It's it's uh, a simpler time. Like some blind beta fish, huh? <laughs> Dude, and I remember this would be, I tell you this, man. One girl, she let me... Uh, like touch her like chest kind of we were like probably fifth 14 i don't know what we were but they her, 34 yeah <laughs> her uh dad was a uh elvis impersonator right uh-huh but we live in a small town you don't need one you know <laughs> so he just really was an alcoholic and he kept his kids in an electric fence in their yard yeah. and this girl let me feel her boob through that electric through fence. the electric on, fence? just on top of her dress okay yeah. man look th- Still counted. That's where we have to probably. I mean, look, it's your show. I got to go. Yeah, that's a dirty. But, I mean, yeah. but but I mean that that's one of the greatest metaphors of all time. Reaching through an electric fence to gently cup the breast of a young love. Mm-hmm. So you're surrounded by consequences. You got danger everywhere. You're you're being allowed to do a thing, but there's risk. Right? There's risk all around you. I was at my cousin's once, and uh, we had to pee, just like we had to pee here 20 yeah. minutes ago. And my cousin, son of a bitch, he, uh, he said, yeah, let's just, this is a good place to go. And uh, he had an electric fence that kept their, uh, their, their horses in. And I don't know what he said to make me think it would be okay, but I peed on the electric fence. And the current that ran back up through my stream of urine straight into the, the very essence of my middle God. knocked me it knocked me on my ass mm. and um i still remember to this day it's one of the most awkward moments of my life lying on my back next to my cousin laughing hysterically as the urine continued to shoot straight up in the air like a horrible yellow fountain and i just lay there in cow shit peeing on myself and that's fracking <laughs> That's why we power wash, friends. Guys, Mike, thank you so much, man. We'll, uh, what's your podcast called? We want people to check it it's out. It's called The Way I Heard It. Mm-hmm. It's on every week. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a little different than this, but you know what? In the end, it's, uh, I, I, I think we're trying to do the same thing, man. Yeah. Just tell the truth to the people who got the balls to hang out and stick with you for two hours. Amen. Mike Rowe, thank you so much, brother. Anytime, Theo. Appreciate it. Yeah. Now I'm just floating on the breeze And I feel I'm falling like these leaves I must be cornerstone Oh, but when I reach that ground I'll share this piece of mind I found I can feel it in my bones But it's gonna take Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jonathan Kite and welcome to Kite Club a podcast where I'll be sharing thoughts on things like current events, stand-up stories, and seven ways to pleasure your partner. The answer may shock you. Sometimes I'll interview my friends. Sometimes I won't. And as always, I'll be joined by the voices in my head. You have three new voice messages. A lot of people are talking about Kite Club. I've been talking about Kite Club for so long, longer than anybody else. So great. Hi, sweetheart. Here's a deal. Anyone who doesn't listen to Kite Club is a dodgy bloody wanker. Jermaine. Hi, I'll take a quarter pounder with cheese and a McFlurry. Sorry, sir, but our ice cream machine is broken. Oh, no!
I think Tom Hanks just butt-dialed me. Anyway, first rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Second rule of Kite Club is tell everyone about Kite Club. Third rule, like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, yeah? And yes, don't worry, my Brad Pitt impression will get better.